Hello and welcome to today's SPAS Community Podcast. Uh, we'll be discussing the increasing importance of technology in test development. And I have two guests to discuss this with me. I have Amanda Danis and Andy McAnulla. Andy is the president and CEO of BTL SPAS Inc. based in Pennsylvania and CTO of BTL Group. Uh, later this year, he'll be celebrating his 20th anniversary at being at BTL. So congratulations, Andy. Andy has a long career in development in the educational assessment sector and has spearheaded the development of the SPAS assessment platform, which recently hit a 25 million test delivery milestone. Originally from the UK in 2017, Andy moved his family out to the States to establish a SPAS presence on the East Coast. Hello, Andy. Hey, Tim. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, I know you're both very busy people. So let's talk about Amanda then. Uh, Amanda has a PhD in psychometrics. Uh, Amanda worked at a pre-employment testing company uh, where she became really interested in certification and licensure, especially credentialing in the workforce and her career in psychometrics has grown from there. Amanda is now CEO and lead psychometrician at Danis and Company uh, based in Virginia. In addition, Amanda is a lead assessor for the American National Standards Institute, specifically for ISO Standard 17024. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks, Tim. It's uh, great to be here. Hi, Andy. How's it going? How are you? Hey, Amanda. Yeah, great. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, great to be with you and uh, looking forward to getting started. Yeah, it's fantastic you've both been able to join us, and I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation today. So let's, let's get started and let's ask Amanda the first question. Amanda, what is test development? Well, test development is really the entire process that you undergo to create um, and get your test ready for delivery for all of your candidates and test takers. So it involves a little bit of kind of a scope decision, a discussion around what are you going to be testing? Does that involve a job role? Therefore, you would want to do a JTA, which is a job task analysis. It can also be called a role delineation study or a practice analysis, if any of those terms sound more familiar. Um, and then you go from that stage into where you need to decide your test specifications, as well as, of course, develop that item content, those questions. What type of questions are you even going to have? Are they multiple choice? Are they more innovative types of items? Um, and then, of course, you have your standard setting and your cut score process, which is where you decide kind of where that standard is within the test content itself and the scores that are going to come from it, who gets to pass and who gets to fail, kind of what that level of competence is that you want to be testing. And that entire process is really the test development journey that leads you to be able to deliver a test. Thanks. And I suppose the psychometrician is quite an important part of that process. Could you just kind of expand a little bit more on the on the role of the psychometrician? Sure. I think that our our role in that is to um, not really do all of the work for people, but to definitely help them along the way so that they can make sure that their test is going to yield some valid and really reliable results, as well as, of course, make sure that the test is legally defensible. So a lot of the things that we do is we will facilitate the workshops, the JTA process. We will do a lot of that kind of on the ground foundational work to kind of get it ready to use your subject matter experts and be able to develop that test content. Of course, we do a lot of editing of the questions ourselves. There's a lot of things that we look for to make sure that the questions are as accurate and even as efficient as they need to be. Um, and then, of course, for making the decision about the standard setting, there's a lot of different, uh, well, there's numerous 
methodologies that you can use to set your standard. A psychometrician can help you decide which methodology you should use, which depends on your industry, as well as the overall goals of your tests. Mm. Um, and then, of course, the psychometrician at the end plays a really big role in analyzing your test results after they come out. Okay. I think that the psychometrician's role is essential in learning or enabling you to learn how that test can be developed properly and according to best practice to, to again, mm. to ensure legal defensibility. Okay. That's, that's really great. That's really interesting. In terms of the legal defensibility bit, can you just expand on, on that? How critical is it to be legally defensible with a test? Um, I would say it depends on the industry and how much, of course, your test is going out to certify somebody who's working in the public safety sector. So a lot of tests that are certification and licensing exams for either the medical community or a first responder community like EMT, paramedics, firemen, um, a lot of those have to have very, very high uh, legal defensibility standards because you want to be able to certify that the people who are passing that test are really have the skills to do what they need to make the public safe. But on the other hand, you can also have non-public safety industries that still need to make sure that they have a legally defensible test because you have uh, candidates and even organizations, if they're paying for their candidates to become certified, they're paying quite a bit of money and spending quite a bit of time uh, to be able to become certified. And that sort of investment of both time and money um, needs to be able to be sort of validated by the test scores. And they want to know that the test that they're taking is representative of their industry, is representative of their job role, is relevant to their everyday job role, um, and can lead them to greater success in their careers. So all of that stuff leads to you needing to make a test that is not only legally defensible, but doesn't have any sort of test bias against different subgroups um, and can really be predictive of job performance. And I suppose the, the, there's going to be people who are listening to this uh, who are quite embedded in that process, so we'll appreciate that. But for others, it, it's going to be quite new information. It's going to be quite important information to know, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Um, I think a lot of people sort of underestimate the whole test development process. Uh, a lot of times if I tell people what I do for a living, I sort of get this look like, you know, what do you mean you help them write a test? Does this mean that you're an expert in X, whatever that industry is? And I'm absolutely not. I know a little bit about a lot of different industries from our clients, um, but there really is a trick to it. And there really is some methodology and not only statistical checks along the way, even as soon as you're doing your JTA, there's analysis that goes with that. Um, stats are, are what we all love as psychometricians, and we use statistics and really some pretty complex statistical methodologies throughout the test development process. And being able to follow all of those steps if the test is ever challenged, either in a legal court or through a complaints and appeals processes, you know, from the certification program and those candidates, um, being able to have all that documentation that one, we either had outside help or we have an in-house psychometrician and we followed best practices mm. really leads to a, a really strong defense of that test and of those scores that are coming from that test. I suppose the, the SMEs have been quite involved in the, the well, then the knowledge base for the, the authoring process. What What is it that you bring to the, the, the authoring process yourself? What, what is it you've how do you facilitate that? And is it always kind of well-received, I suppose? So this is another one of those times that I sort of get that incredulous look. And when we first start to work with SMEs and we say, oh, we need to do a virtual item writing training, we're going to teach you how to write a test question. And a lot of them, especially if they're, they're kind of 
you know, old school experts in the industry. They've been professors. They say, I've been writing tests for 30 years. Um, but uh, inevitably, after the process is done, they always say, we have learned so much and we did not know that there were specific things that we need to look for and how to write a test question. Um, so one of the things that we do is the, the great litmus test that I use as a psychometrician and as a non-expert or a non-practitioner in the industry is, if I can answer the test question, then I'm going to send it back to you because I should not be able to, just from my own test-wise knowledge of, you know, not choosing the question or the response option that's the longest or they're, you know, all of the above, none of the above. Um, all of these things are these sort of like, you know, if somebody has been taking tests all their lives, which most of us have, they're going to be able to just guess. So if I can guess what the right answer is, I'm going to send it back to you. Um, the other thing is being able to use consistent terminology. Lots of times when you have experts coming from different sectors of the industry or even different geographic regions, if it's a global client, they might use different terms and different processes even. And it has to be consistent across the board so that anyone from any sector or any wherever the industry certification is geared towards, they would have the same chances of being able to pass the test as somebody from a different subsector or a different geographic region. So a lot of that consistency is something that we look for, as well as formatting, response options, good distractors. Are they plausible? Does everybody agree that there's one correct answer and only one correct answer? That's always an interesting discussion during the workshops. Um, and you really want the face validity, which is that kind of impression that somebody has as a candidate when they're taking the test. They want it to be a formal test. They've studied hard. They've paid a lot of money. They don't want there to be slang. They don't want there to be errors. They don't want there to be, uh, they want to feel like they were challenged, but it was fair and that it was very representative of what they do for a living. So we're there to make sure that all of that happens. Um, we also do, I always, always encourage beta testing of the items. And I encourage that if it's possible, logistically possible to do some beta testing. And then I run some psychometric analyses on those items to make sure that we didn't miss anything or the SMEs, uh, the subject matter experts didn't miss anything in their, in their reviews. Uh, we have quite a life cycle for the item development process. And, um, and that's what we can do is help the SMEs get through that. That's great. It's really, it's really interesting. This and what does just can technology help with the whole process? Can technology assist? Um, so the famous psychometric answer to almost any question is it depends, and that's going to say it again. It depends. So it depends one on your resources, two on the size of your program, um, and three what kind of outside help you're getting. I think that technology, like in all industries, has grown exponentially, and it really can help the entire test development process, not only in efficiency and resource time and, and reducing some of that the time and money, um, but also in test security. So back in the olden days, or if you're still doing a paper and pencil test, that's absolutely valid and you can do that. However, your security measures for being able to contain that content uh, is a little bit more difficult than having it, you know, your item banks housed in a, on an online computer platform, testing platform. Um, not to mention, of course, for item writing, you know, we have used in the past anything from Excel documents, Word documents, 
handwritten paper and pencil, depending on who our experts are, we will do whatever it takes to have them be comfortable in getting the content kind of out of their brains and into a question format, whatever is the mode that makes it easiest for them. But technology and an item writing platform that's as easy to use as like surpasses, um, and there's some other platforms out there too, of course, are just make that that entire experience much better. So the technology is there, especially for item writing, just helps, saves us on time, saves the client money, and the subject matter experts are actually enjoying the process. They can concentrate on getting out their expertise and not worrying about trying to learn what a new platform is like, or how does this work, or where do I put this information? Um, of course, standard setting, obviously technology is important there because you need to maintain your security of your item bank. And then of course, test delivery, you've got global test delivery happening for many of our clients, as well mm -hmm. as remote proctoring options, which is, uh, in my opinion, the wave of the future as far as proctoring goes for certification and licensure. I think, well, I think you're certainly right. And I think we're seeing that as uh, events unfold globally, um, you know, people are looking for remote delivery solutions, people are turning more towards technology. Um, so just on remote proctoring, do you think that it's the future? Do you think it's the way forward? Yeah, I think uh, I've been a big proponent of remote proctoring for quite a while. I'm on the technical working group um, that was formed by ATP um, to come up with sort of an online remote or remote proctoring standard for the industry. Uh, we're currently working, drafting that, or it's in its final stages, I think. Um, but, you know, and I've actually seen it firsthand where I had a client who didn't do remote proctoring originally, but they were doing CBT, computer-based testing. And they had another big, one other big competitor in their industry. There were basically two big certification programs. And the certification program that we were working with went remote for proctoring. So their candidates were able to schedule their test on their own time. They didn't have to drive to a testing center. They could literally do it on an extended lunch period if they wanted. I mean, just the flexibility was amazing. And that program grew and grew and grew. And the other program has kind of gone to the wayside and it's not not doing so well. Um, I'm sure there are other variables involved, but the remote proctoring was one of the biggest things when we did customer feedback with those candidates was they said, I chose this certification because all of those things being equal, this worked with my schedule and I could do this so much easier and it was actually cheaper for them mm. to administer it that way. So um, it's just a, a really big advantage. And well, it's great that the candidates are finally kind of having a say yeah. and it's, it's that's carrying some weight as well with organizations. And based on kind of your experiences with technology, how do you think a kind of cluster approach of using lots of different applications, which aren't necessarily built for the, the job of test development, compares with using a, a platform like Surpass for the, uh, the kind of end-to-end -end process of the uh, authoring and, and delivery of those items, and certainly the test development side? How does that compare? Um, so I, I, there is no comparison. Um, it is... Uh, not to, it makes our jobs so much easier. And so I, I'm not a proponent of using an all-in-one platform like Surpass just to make my life easier. But then the cost that I have to pass off onto the client is so much less just because it's so much less of our time um, to be able to manage from item writing to item banking to test delivery to remote proctoring sort of as an all-in-one one-stop shop. And I kind of think of us as being like the... Uh, psychometric concierge, if you will. So we are helping 
in the past, we've had to cobble together from different vendors. You know, we might do item rating on our own, then we might do item making, either we're managing that or, or we're doing it with another one of the big testing places. And then they have a third party that's coming into doing remote proctoring. So not only do our clients have to kind of figure out uh, which vendors to go with, which we always do that research for them and give them, you know, a nice matrix and here's the benefit cost analysis and whatever. But then at the end, especially if they're going for something like accreditation, with a regulatory agency or an accrediting body, they have to be able to show that they are doing an annual performance review for every single one of those third-party vendors. And it's a ton to manage on the client side, not even on our side. So having a one-stop shop, number one, makes it a lot easier for us. Um, it's much more time efficient for us. So the cost that we have to put onto the client is less. As far as the client being able to monitor and evaluate performance of third-party vendors. They've only got one, and all your stuff is housed in one place. It's just kind of uh, it's kind of a win-win situation for everybody. One of the things that I like the most about Surpass is that as a psychometrician for a client, I can easily access their data right away. So if they have a candidate complaint or a candidate says, hey, this item was really weird, I'm not sure about this, we can go in and pull the data for that item immediately. There's no waiting three weeks, six weeks, paying some sort of extra crazy fee um, to find out what exactly is going on with that item statistically. And we can kind of run that down and dirty analysis and make sure that we are we're taking care of everything and fixing anything that we can we, that we see immediately. Um, so you don't have to wait and worry about the validity of those results that are happening in the meantime. And it, well, it's great that you can have that immediate kind of re response and reaction to that. Um, just Andy, just turning to you now, we've heard from Amanda about the, uh, the kind of steps as part of the test development cycle. And it, it'd be great if you could explain how SPAS helps in that. But before you get into that, could you just kind of briefly explain what SPAS is, please, to the listener who might not know? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, Surpass is a cloud technology platform that's used by hundreds of certification bodies to develop their items and tests and uh, also securely delivering, scoring and analyzing them. So uh, basically, Surpass helps you with the full end-to-end -end process of assessment. Thanks. And that's really useful for some people who've maybe not heard of Surpass before. So Amanda's talked us through the, the kind of test development cycle. How is Surpass helping to make that more efficient? Um, how is it trying to improve the efficiencies of the test development process? Yeah, okay. So I mean, I think to answer that question, we, we need to talk about how we go about um, you know, building Surpass and, and what we've done uh, to create the, the system and the functionality in there. Um, and so what we do is we, we've, we sit down with our SMEs and our end users and spend a lot of time in workshops and focus groups and uh, our design team essentially sit down and, and try and understand the end-to-end -end processes that they go through uh, to make sure that the user experience that's created is as intuitive as possible. Um, and you know, once we've built that functionality, we'll then trial it and uh, pilot it with users and SMEs and see what we can do to improve it further. Uh, so, and that process seems to work really well. Um, you know, we get a lot of really good positive feedback on uh, you know the, how how easy it is to use as a system. And in terms of the the kind of trials, and do do our team get face to face, or do the UX team get face to face with the uh, the people who are actually using the platform? to get their feedback? 
Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's one of the key things that we try and do wherever possible. Uh, you always get a lot, you know, better feedback when you can be uh, in person. Um, but you know, we do a lot of uh, video um, remote calls and, and and work it through that way as well. And that that you know seems to work well too. And do you think we've we do you think it's evolved as a process? You know, do in terms of the the way that pass is used by by people. Do you think that has, has changed over time? Um, I wouldn't say it's it's changed an awful lot. Um, I mean, we've obviously have to make sure we stay up to date with the latest technologies. You know, uh, as we move to um, more standards in HTML five and. Um, accessibility and so on uh, as they change we have to adapt uh, but the you know the general uh, approach to item writing and reviewing um, really for us has been more about how we can add more value to the process and speed their uh, processes up and make them more efficient excellent so just Amanda back to you we're going to talk specifically more about item writing here can you explain more detail how this takes place sure so we I think other psychometricians, you know, we all might do things a little bit differently, but the way that we complete this process is I see every single item as its own kind of little individual unit and it goes through this life cycle. So it has an author, subject matter expert, then it goes to us and we take a quick peek at it, make sure everything looks good. Again, if I can answer the question correctly, it's going back to the author because <laughs> um, I am certainly not an expert in many of the industries that we work in. Um, and then the next thing is it goes to one of their colleagues, another subject matter expert for review, and then it goes to a second subject matter expert for review and then comes back to us. So this item as this you know little unit out there is moving to these different people. And along the way, we need to be able to track the versions so that if reviewer number two actually changes a bunch of stuff that we don't like, we want to go back to reviewer number one. Um, we also need to track who has seen which items and when. Um, we don't want people to review items that they have either already reviewed or that they have actually authored. Um, and so it's, we sort of call it air traffic control when we do this in person. If we're not using a platform like Surpass, we have to manage all these little individual items, whether we're using tickets or we're using Basecamp or we're using some other sort of thing that we've cobbled together um, to monitor all of this. And so the cool thing about Surpass and the thing that really uh, sort of led me to want to start to work more with Surpass is it is so simple <laughs> for an expert to be able to just sign on and hit the ground running and get that information out of their heads and into this platform. Um, there is not a learning curve. I've had used other platforms where I've had to spend half a day of a two-day workshop teaching people how to use the platform. And then even then, they are messing things up and things are getting deleted and things are happening. And we're like, what did you do with this question? Where did it go? Um, so that's really, you know, we want to make it as easy as possible for the subject matter experts because we view them as sort of ambassadors for your certification program. They need to have a great experience. It needs to be headache free. They need to feel good about the work that they did. Um, and using a great item writing platform kind of kind of hits all of those points and allows us to do that much, much more efficiently. These, but these are busy people though, aren't they? They're, they're people that um, they're, might not be experts in assessment. Absolutely. Most of them are volunteering their time. Um, sometimes we get it where the industry, when they're super invested in the program, um, they have, they will 
you know, pay for their employees to go. But I've, I've met some subject matter experts that literally have taken paid time off from their company because they believe in setting this industry standard for a new program. And, and so far I haven't met one that's regretted doing that, that they've been, we've been pretty lucky. We've had some, a lot of successful programs launch. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they're busy, they've got other stuff going on. And so the other thing about surpass that's cool is that even if you're not in person and other platforms can do this too, but I, I haven't found one yet that is quite as intuitively easy, um, but we can send them a link and say, here's your assignment. We're giving you, we need three more questions that map to this part of the exam blueprint. Um, can you have these done by next week? And then they can work on it on their own remotely. So the fact that you can do it in person as a group or remotely, that just robustness is, is lends to the tool and um, a lot of the advantages for using it. So what's the kind of response though when they, you know, when they use it for the first time compared with with Word or something like that? How do they respond to using uh, a technology like Surpass? So at first they at, at first there's a little bit of like you know if I say so so we've had some where we've switched to using Surpass they you know we've done a different process you know a couple of years ago and now we're doing some more item writing to refresh a new form and we say okay we're going to do something a little bit new this time and of course everybody when they hear there's going to be change they go. I don't know about that. You know, <laughs> I don't have enough time for this. I don't want to learn a new program. Um, but we will introduce it on our little virtual item writing that we do ahead of the process or ahead of the workshop. And they all go, oh, I can do this. You know, this is like, you know, really, really easy and really just quick to pick up and they know exactly what to do. I've yet to hear somebody say, I want to go back to doing it the other way. So I think that's a good sign. Well, it's, I think it definitely is a good sign, isn't it? It's uh, it's it's encouraging, isn't it? Um, to Andy, just over to you. Just, um, what what else can Pass do to improve the item writing process? You know, how can we help? Uh, yeah, I think it's not probably just about the item writing process, though. It's also about the uh, review and the whole test development cycle. Um, so we spent a lot of time. Um, building in um, efficiencies to make sure that item writing is uh, as simple as possible for the SMEs. Um, all they have to do is focus on the task at hand. Um, they don't have to be um, you know, distracted with lots of other clutter that, 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 that a user interface might present. We just focus on the job uh, that they need to do. Uh, same with review process. We've spent a lot of time making sure that they can just quickly review items either remotely or in person uh, and vote on those items whether they think it's correct or not. They spend a lot of time putting in track changes if they want to suggest modifications. They can see that easily. And, and just, facilitators. just on track changes though, yeah, how does that, is that very similar to what they would expect in something like Word? Yeah, it's very similar. Uh, yeah, you can track. As they, as they modify or delete words, um, it will show that visually. Um, they can insert comments uh, and annotations. Uh, and what's really nice about that is that as a facilitator, when the facilitator is looking at all of the suggested modifications by a group of SMEs uh, on an item, uh, they, can draw, they can pull up both the, uh, the, the SMEs suggestions and the, uh, the, the kind of master item and do comparisons. And then they can fold in everybody's best ideas and thoughts about how to improve that item. And can uh, so they just can see those side by side then? Right. Yeah, it's a side by side view. Uh, just makes it really easy to do quick comparisons. Um, 
so that's been a really good process. And again, that works really well, both in person uh, when everyone sat around a table together, uh, but also for remote uh, uh, workshops. So that's a, that was a key that area. And I think the other aspect is just making sure that acknowledging that SMEs are really busy people, uh, as Amanda said. So uh, we need to make sure the technology is really reliable. Uh, when you know SMEs start working in the system, uh, we need to make sure that you know it's it's really performant and it's snappy to use. Uh, so you know a lot of effort w- goes into our performance testing and, mm. uh, and making sure that the system's always available. And it, well, it's important that it is always available because people need to have that trust in it, isn't it? And uh, you know, performance always takes a big part. So just on that kind of question, in terms of scaling up, what advice would you give to someone who was looking to scale up there? Uh, test development uh, uh, process? Uh, well, I mean, I would say, um, you know, make sure you spend some time uh, looking for a system that will uh, enable your SMEs to be able to hit the ground running uh, and just be able to log into the system and craft items and review items as quickly as possible. Um, it, it's, you know, key to, to building up a, um, a good test development team. And what about the learning curve side of things? Is it you know, how how important is that part of it? Well, I mean, obviously, if you can if you can use a system that doesn't require any you know lengthy training or or ideally just use immediately without any training uh, is is what you should be looking for. And uh, obviously, we've tried our best uh, with Surpass to make sure that that's the case. And you know, and I think that is something that. When a lot of organisations we see, you know, they'll they'll build systems or themselves, or um, you know, sort of uh, combine different applications together to try and uh, do the process, and it it sometimes uh, actually just slows it all down because um, you know SMEs aren't necessarily familiar with that tool, or um, it's not intuitive enough to to, to enable them to just uh, begin using it straight away. I suppose, like you say, if you if you do kind of cobble together technology, then the cracks will appear when you start to put that under strain of larger volumes of items and remote working and all those kind of things. Right. You know, and again, this comes back to sort of system scalability. Uh, so, yeah, you need to make sure a system, whatever system you use, can support you know, uh, a large growing number of items if you're rapidly scaling up your uh, team and um, and that it will support lots of users all at once if you're doing large workshops. So, so yeah. Well, thank you. That's, that's excellent. Thank you for just finishing with those kind of top tips, and that's really useful. Uh, obviously, there's plenty of opportunity for people to uh, get to see a demo of Surpass. You go to surpass.com, uh, and also to find out more about Amanda and her team and the work that they do. So uh, I want to say thank you for my guests, um, Amanda and Andy. Thank you very much. Uh, you've been excellent. Um, All right, thanks, it, Tim, and uh, thanks, Amanda. Yes, absolutely. It's been fun to talk with you guys about this, it, and uh, I look forward to all the work we're going to do in the future together. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a very rosy uh, rosy future, I think, with all this uh, amazing technology and amazing test development service and expertise. So thank you, everyone, for your time. It's been brilliant, and uh, we'll, we'll thank you for the listeners, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you, and goodbye.